We are going to be starting in a new series today, and um, this is just introduction to it. The book of Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah the prophet was giving exhortation to the children of Israel, and um, he saw the impending calamities that were going to be coming upon them. He gave them warnings, and then he, he really pointed them in the direction that they need to go. We're just going to begin reading in Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 23. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight, says the Lord. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have access to your word. What a blessing it is to have your word minister in our lives daily. And now to be able to turn to your word and to look at the truths of your word. And we don't venture into this, Lord, without acknowledging that we need your spirit to do the ministering today. And so I, I just appeal to you that you, in a, in a very personal manner, in each of our lives, would minister the truth. Lord, you alone know what we need, and you alone can meet that need. And so we look to you now, and we thank you for what you'll do. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> the less you know about something the less you value it. I mean, it applies in every area of our life. Um, I've, I've often said I think everyone in life should be a, a janitor at some time in their life. Or they don't call them janitors now. They call them environmental technicians or I don't know what their name. But when when you're a janitor... It gives you a whole renewed perspective when you walk into a building. If you have any sense at all, if you've been a janitor, you walk into a building, you naturally wipe your feet because you've cleaned up people that just walk in like a cow into a barn. You know what I mean? When when you've been a janitor, you appreciate clean restrooms and you do your best to keep the restroom clean. And when you're a janitor, you throw something, have been a janitor, maybe not always, but when you throw something at the garbage and you miss, you don't say, oh, well, you pick it up and you put it in the garbage, okay? I mean, it can give you a renewed appreciation. Hey, this building's clean. It didn't just happen that way, all right? Same is true. Um, Everybody should have worked in a garden or been around farms, everybody should butcher some chickens sometime in their life. To know that 
chicken tenders don't just show up at Chick-fil-A, you know what I mean? And to know where beef comes from, and to, you'd be amazed how many people don't, they have no idea what goes into putting a hamburger on, on a bun, you know what I mean? So they don't value it. We, we are around that stuff, so we value it. But you see it in other areas. Um, in, in American history, because we don't know it, we don't value it. We're seeing that more and more today. To know the sacrifice, to know how did this nation come about, um, what were the founding principles? When we don't know that, then we don't value it. The same is true in, in many cases in understanding church history. How did we get to where we are here today? I don't mean just this church, although that applies as well, but I mean in the overall scope of things from Acts chapter 2 to today. But the more you know something, the more you value it. And the more we know God, the more we will value God. And Jeremiah had spoken to his people, and he said, God is going to bring great judgment. He is going to shake things up. And he then said in verse 23, now, Some of you are very wise, he said, but don't glory in your wisdom. And he said, some of you are very strong, you're mighty, but don't glory in your strength or your might. And some of you are very rich, but don't glory in your riches because all of those will fail. Your wisdom, your strength, your riches, your resources, all of those will fail you. But he says, this is what I want you to glory in. Let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, saith the Lord. That he understands and knows me. This is Jeremiah relaying the message that God gave to him. This is what a person ought to desire, to know God. Not to desire strength, not to desire wisdom in and of itself, not to desire riches, but the thing that will sustain you through life and eternity is knowing God. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul, um, at the time that he wrote this, wasn't a loser who had hit rock bottom um, he wasn't turning at this time from a life of failure and and um, and thinking, well, I might as well try this. He was one of the most educated, accomplished men of his day. He was had been of the elite religious class, and and God had transformed his life. and And people who knew him wanted to be be like him. And and he had been a Christian for decades when he wrote this. 
He'd traveled the world. He'd been used of God in many, many ways in establishing churches. But you notice what he says in verse 7 of Philippians chapter 3. But what things were gained to me, meaning those things that I can boast about, those things that God did through my life, those things that I have notoriety for. He says, those things that were gained to me, these things I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish or dung that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteous, which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He said, all these things that I've accomplished, I count them as nothing, he said in in verse 7 and 8, except I'm willing to lose all of those things for the knowledge of Christ. And he said in verse 10, this is my burning passion. He's very successful in his Christian life. This is my burning desire that I may know God. He wanted an intimacy with God. It isn't knowing about God, knowing all the facts about God. It's knowing the heart of God, knowing the nature of God. And the more we know about God, the more we will value Him. So, we we will be starting a study. As I said, this is introductory. Next week will probably be introductory. But we're going to go through and look at the attributes of God, the character of God. Now, our prayer is not just that it be we learn these facts and information about God, but we want to make it application. If God is this, what does that mean in our life? What does it mean in, in the outworking? And the more we know him, the better off we'll be. Because I don't care what you have in your life, it is all going to be diminished. Strength, wisdom, riches, beauty, that about covers it, right? Whatever you have in life, it is all going to be diminished. And that's why Jeremiah told the people, This is what you need to glory in. This is what ought to be the priority. I want to know God. And the Apostle Paul said the same thing. This is my desire. Here's the man that wrote half of the New Testament. And he was still pursuing God. I want to know Him. I want to have an intimacy with Him. I want to to just go over this morning... People who know God, and we're going to mention six characteristics of people that know God. So this is, 
These are all the byproducts of knowing God. They're not all the byproducts. There are other things. But people who know God, number one, they have great thoughts of God. In other words, um, they contemplate God. They rejoice in how great God is. The psalmist said, and, and David was a man after God's own heart, and he knew God, and he said in Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is all your name in all the earth. Who have set your glory above the heavens, he says, out of the mouths and babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. And he said, when I consider the heavens, the works of thy hands, what is man that thou art mindful of him? He has great thoughts of God. When he, when he walks out on a January night and he sees the full moon at this last week, he has great thoughts of God. And he said, man, what an amazing God that can, can light up the whole earth day and night and, and to see this moon. What is man, God, that you are mindful of him? When we have great thoughts of man, it leaves little room for thoughts of God. Great thoughts of man, small thoughts of God. And we are prone by nature to gravitate toward great thoughts of man. Wow, did you see what so-and-so did? Aren't they great? Look at this. Watch this. Great thoughts of man means small thoughts of God. Unless we can understand This man or woman was able to accomplish this by the giftings of God. But a person who knows God, the more you know God, the greater thoughts you will have of God. Because you will just stand in amazement at at who he is. And and that's, that's our desire as we get into to go through a study of the attributes of God is that it would cause us to be brought back to having great thoughts of God. If we don't know God, we won't think about how great He is. Secondly, those who know God have proper perspective of the temporal and the eternal. In the passage that we read in Philippians, Paul counted all these worldly things as nothing compared to knowing God. I mean, every everything changes. Everything will disappear. The things which are seen are temporal. I mean, everything everything changes. And if you have great thoughts of God, if you know God, you come back to the reality that, um, wow, God is permanent and real. This last week, a couple of things 
brought into my life the reality of the temporalness of life. We had to have a a big oak tree that hung over our house taken down this last week. And um, this summer, a big limb blew out and, and we needed this taken down before it crashed on the house. So since we've been there, that's been, it's right next to the house. I mean, right out. It's been the landmark. And and so came and tuck, cut, they cut that thing down, and that was fascinating in and of itself. But it's like, you look and it's like, wow, that is gone. Andrew sent me a thing from an arborist that how you can tell how old the tree is. And it said a bur oak tree that size is probably 200 to 250 years old. And in a way, it made me feel bad that it, we cut it down and, but to protect the house. And God said, well, why'd you build the house there? And I didn't build the house there. Somebody else did. And, but at any rate, so, I mean, think about that. That thing's been there for that long. I mean, Civil War was going on. It was there before the Civil War. You know what I'm saying? And it's gone. Some of it's heat in my house right this very minute. I mean, just like that. And then, then we told Denny, our youngest, goodbye. She's moving to Kansas City. And you walk by the room and it's empty. And you walk by the other room and it's empty. And it's like, life goes on and changes, doesn't it? And the things which are seen are temporal. They're going to be gone. And everything you see is temporal. A person that knows God is reminded of that. And he's able to differentiate and has a proper perspective on the temporal. Not that you don't value it, but you say, God, thank you that I was able to enjoy that oak tree for these many years. Thank you for these gifts, but I know I don't have them forever. See, and it's, it's understanding the difference between eternal and temporal. A person that knows God has the perspective that Paul had in Philippians 3. Number three, a person who knows God will have a great concern for God's name and reputation. We don't have time to illustrate it, but Abraham, Moses, David, Paul, they all had a great concern for God's reputation. Moses says, God, if, if, you, if you lead us out here and we all die, what will the heathen say about you? And and all of them had a great concern. David, when he went to do battle with Goliath, he said, he is mocking our God. That's what motivated him. It's not concerned about their, their own reputation. A, per, a person that knows God has a great concern. When God is being disregarded, when God is being defamed or denied, a person that knows God 
is compelled to do something about it. A person that knows God is is motivated to say, wait a minute, no, that is not true. Has a great concern for God's name and God's reputation. Number four, a person who knows God will have great boldness and strength. In in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 32, it says that those who know God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Those who know God will be strong and do great things. I mean, what a, what a promise that is given. What's the key? Knowing God. That's why Jeremiah said, don't glory in your strength or your riches or your wisdom. Glory that you know God because when you know God, he will give you strength. You will have boldness and strength and be able to accomplish great things. Knowing God and knowing that he is in control and that nothing is impossible for him gives us boldness. Peter and James and John in the book of Acts, they knew God. They knew the power of God. And they said, we ought to obey God rather than man. Well, we're going we're gonna to persecute you. We're gonna, it doesn't matter. We ought to obey God rather than man. They knew God, and they were bold and strong in their faith. Oswald Chambers said, When you know God, you are able, and this was his language, to smilingly wash your hands of the consequences. If this is what God wants me to do, doesn't matter. I wash my hands of the consequences. Whatever comes, I know God. And I know he is in it, and he will do what is best. Those who know God have peace. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. He said, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, Isaiah 26.3. The peace of God comes from knowing that you're in God's care and in God's control, and it gives great peace. I know God, and I know he won't forsake me. I know he doesn't change. I know he is all-powerful. I know he is present with me. Great peace. And those who know God have fulfillment. There is no greater joy. There is no greater delight. There is no greater contentment than knowing God. Once we are aware that our main purpose in life is to know God, then life's problems fall into place on their own accord. And, and realizing this is, this is what we were made for. We were made for fellowship with God. Knowing God is, is growing to an intimacy with God. You know, when you really know someone, 
Um, you know what they're thinking. You are able to anticipate how they're going to respond to something. This is what it comes, knowing God, um, having an, an intimacy with Him, that I really know His heart. So we ask the question that we'll quickly seek to answer here. How to know God? How can I know God? Number one, you must be born again. You must be born spiritually. You were born physically on such and such a day, but you must be born spiritually. You are spiritually dead. There must be a spiritual birth, and that comes when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. God, I am a sinner. You are a holy God. I know that about you, God. I am not holy. I am a sinner. I am separated from you. And you said there's only one way for forgiveness, through the blood of Jesus Christ. And until we call upon Jesus Christ and turn from trusting ourselves to trusting God, we are spiritually dead. It doesn't matter how many times you've been baptized. It doesn't matter how faithfully you attend church. It doesn't matter what good works you do. Until you call upon Jesus Christ to forgive your sins, you are spiritually dead. You can't know God. So first of all, we must be born spiritually. Secondly, you get to know God it sounds basic, but by keeping his company. In other words, you spend time with him. You don't get to know anyone without investing time with them. It may be reading about them. It may be talking to them. It may be writing text or letters to them, but you get to know someone by spending time with them. You cannot know God without spending time with Him. You don't, you don't go to the spiritual drive-through window and say, I want to know God. Can you make, supersize that for me? And okay, go to the next window and it'll be there for you. You only get to know God by keeping his company, by spending time in the Word, by communing with him, talking to him through the day, by walking with him, by meditating on his Word, thinking about the Scriptures as you're driving down the road, by taking your mind toward him. The only way you're going to know God is spending time with him. It's if if you want to know him in just a little bit, then spend just a little bit of time. But I, Jeremiah said, "The things that are coming, you better know God." And I don't know what's coming in your life or my life, but I know whatever's coming, I better know God. And you can't all of a sudden do a crash course on knowing God when the crisis comes. You build a relationship with God, and when the crisis comes in your life, you either know God or you don't. And you're either going to have the, the grace and the faith and the power to go through it and walk in victory, 
or you will not. And it comes through the, the daily grind, so to speak. And, and I don't want to make it sound like it's a drudgery because it's not, but it, it takes, it takes that commitment. It takes taking control and saying, no, this is, this is what we're going to do. The spirit controls the mind and the mind controls the body. This is what we're going to do. I mean, our mind wants to just veg out, you know. I don't mean eat vegetables. I mean just sit there, you know. No, no, we're going to go do this. I'm going to take this verse card and, and, and I'm going to meditate on this. And I'm going to think as I'm driving down the road, quit your texting and get a verse card, okay? Tape it on your... On your driver's steering wheel right there, whatever. Some of you are saying, that'd be dangerous. It wouldn't be as dangerous as some of the stuff you're doing. Fixing your nails and combing your hair and eating your Big Mac and drinking your Mountain Dew and all that stuff. You know what I'm saying? But we need to spend time with Him. You can't know God. I, I... I guess I wish I could say just do this, 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 and you'll know God. We want to provide some some tools for you, but it's going to be up to you to know God, spending time with Him. Thirdly, and I guess I've already touched on it, but remove the junk food from your life. Is this going to help me know God? I'm not talking about Snickers, okay? Those help me know God because I'm happier when I eat Snickers. I'm just kidding, all right? But seriously, in what we do, is this going to help me know God? Is this going to be a benefit or is it going to draw me down? There are certain things that draw us away. Cut it off. Paul said over and over, put away, put away, and put on. Put away this and put on this. Why? So that you can know God. This is Paul, the, the champion of the New Testament era, so to speak. So get rid of the junk food. Learn to see God in every circumstance of life. God is always at work in our life to get us to know him. This is what God's always trying to do. Help us to know him. So we must learn to interpret the events in our life by what is God, how is God using this to teach me about himself? Everything that happens in your life, you need to be asking, what is God, how is God using this to teach me about himself? And once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems will fall into place. See, to know God as the comforter means that we will need consolation due to our suffering or discouragement, right? You'll never know him as the comforter unless you need comfort. So you say, God, why am I going through this? And God says, I want you to come to know me as the comforter. To discover that God is our strength, 
We must experience weakness and come to the end of our own ability to persevere and realize, God, I can't do it. You are my strength. To come to understand our Father's faithfulness means that we'll probably come to situations in life where others have proved very unfaithful. And we'll be brought back to say, God, you alone are the faithful one in my life. To understand God's wisdom and to know his wisdom may mean that we come to the point where the world's wisdom lets us down and all our manipulating and maneuvering fails and we come back and we say, God, I need your wisdom. But every event that comes into your life, God is trying to teach you and me something about himself. And when, when you start looking at everything in life, God, use this to teach me. When you start seeing that, you will grow daily to know God more. And then to know God means that you praise God. Give praise to God. How little we actually praise God. But to praise God, and and my desire is that the more we know Him, the more we'll be enthralled and excited about Him, the more it will be genuine, natural praise. Wow, God, you are so amazing. I, I, I can't comprehend it. See, you can know a great deal about God without knowing God. You can know a lot about godliness without knowing God. But to have an intimate walk with God. Jeremiah said, don't glory in anything else but glory in this that you know God and that's our prayer that's my desire for me and for you is that we really would know God I've shared before the little story dad was at home and he heard his boy and two others just outside the window and talking and playing and one of the boys said my dad knows the governor. Really? Your dad knows the governor? And like boys will do. Um, the other one said, that's nothing. My dad knows the president. And the dad was listening and knew his boy was the next one. And he thought, oh, man. What is my boy going to say? He said, that's nothing. My dad knows God. And the dad heard that, and he was smitten to his own heart. Would to God every one of our kids and grandkids could say, my dad knows God. That doesn't happen like that. That happens through a commitment 
as the Apostle Paul said, that I may know him, everything else doesn't matter, and it doesn't matter. Another thing everybody ought to do is mow a cemetery. You'll come to, re- I mean, you're driving in, driving through all these, bumping into tombstones and realize someday somebody's going to be bumping into my tombstone here. That's all there is. That's, I'm going to end up there, right there. My strength, my wisdom, my riches, my whatever, gone. So give yourself to know God. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to respond to your working in our lives to draw us to know you. Lord, there's some here today that perhaps have never been born spiritually. I pray today they would just come running to you for forgiveness. And Lord, you said that whoever comes to you, you will never cast them out. Lord, there may be some here today that are experiencing some really adverse circumstances in their life and I pray in your mercy that you would help them to see your heart through this and that the circumstances in their life would help them to know you better. Lord, I pray that every one of us would respond to the promptings of your spirit to to spend time with you, that you stand at the door of our heart and you knock and say, if you open up, I will come in and sit down with you and commune with you and develop a close relationship with you. Lord, may every one of us open our hearts to you. And may we respond by establishing in our lives the priority that our desire is to know you. Thank you that you want us to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and eyes closed. You're here today.